Good morning, Saints. Uh, for those of you that I've not met before, I'm Pastor Ron Morrison from Cleveland, Ohio. And for those of you who are used to me being here, you, you're probably expecting me to start off with some joke about the Browns and the Steelers. I've resolved not to do that this year. But in honor of the great friendship that we developed over the years, if if any of you want tickets to the three playoff games that will be held in Cleveland, I'll be more than happy to try to get them for you. <laughs> I just want to go on record and say that last season was the first time that I was ever had the privilege of doing chapel service for the Browns, and notice we won seven games. So I'm just, <laughs> just putting it out there. So. <laughs> It's my privilege to share the word of God with you. I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9. I'm going to look at some verses from chapter 9 and chapter 10. I've been studying the past few years just uh, a lot of the leaders for the nation of Israel, a lot of the, the kings and people like Moses. As a matter of fact, my, my first book is out there in the lobby called The Throne is No Game, just talking about the problems that are causing people don't recognize that whatever your leadership position is, you better recognize who's really on the throne of your life. And so uh, our study today is going to look at some things from the life of Moses from the book of Deuteronomy. And at this point in the story, in the narrative, you, you know he's really leading the second generation as that first generation has uh, died in the wilderness because of their Unbelief, And he's going to show us the battles that we have to win in private in order to have victory in public. Whether it's a, a sports team, whether you're doing ministry, whatever you're doing, if you don't win the battle in private, if you don't win the battle in preparation, if you don't win the battle in prayer, what happens in public is not going to be pretty. We need to prepare our next generation for the unique challenges that they are going to face. Would you unite your heart with mine as we go before the Lord in prayer? Father, thank you for this privilege of studying your word. Together with my ACAC family, I just pray uh, that the Spirit of God would arrest our attention, help us to hear your voice through your word, uh, help us each to hear what the Spirit is saying to us individually and corporately, and I pray that each of us would bring forth a Christ-honoring response. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, many times our victories come from the efforts of those who are fighting behind the scenes for us. I'm, I'm becoming fascinated by how God answers prayers. We're going to look at Moses interceding for the nation of Israel in, in this case. And uh, God's been showing me his, his faithfulness. I'll, I'll share with you a couple things. I was... I was having a moment of just feeling greatly discouraged. Our, our nonprofit was really struggling financially. I didn't see how we were going to make it to the next season, the next fundraising event. And God called my attention to our bank statements and finally noticed that none of the online contributions were actually making their way to our account. And after a few phone calls and a mistake was discovered, all of a sudden they all populated and we were back in good shape. 
And then another challenge we, we face or got answered this week, we are, you know, we're planning a building expansion and, and raising the funds for that. And uh, there were two prices of pieces of property that were, were homes that we have to tear down. And so we've been paying taxes on those. But, of course, our church property had been tax exempt for over 20 years. Well, somebody downtown thought that all of a sudden all of the property had been corporate and should have been taxed until now. And so we started getting these ugly letters saying you're delinquent on your property taxes and we're going to foreclose. And, and it took months to get them to straighten that out. But a few days ago, we got the call saying it's all clear. So I was just walking around the sanctuary thanking the Lord for the relief from those burdens. Just another reminder that our job is to pray and let him do the heavy lifting. So as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses is going to challenge the people about how important it is to intercede. He's the one who's going to model for us intercessory prayer. Deuteronomy chapter 9, starting in verse 1, the word of God says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakin whom you know, and of whom you heard it said, Who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. You may have noticed in, in scripture, usually when, when that, that term sovereign Lord is used in prayer, it's a reminder to start off first of all by saying, I know the Lord reigns over everything and everyone. And so the, the situations that intimidate us that look too large for us it's good to start off with that reminder that our God is greater than that problem. And so, you know, the people were intimidated by the Anakim, by their size, by their stature, and God's reminded them, I am so much bigger than any problem you will ever have. He deserves the credit for any victory we ever experience against our spiritual enemies. You, you notice in this text it says the, the Lord is going to fight, the Lord is going to win the battle, the Lord is going to drive them out, and then he says to Israelites, you go fight, you drive them out. See, the issue is that God will always fight the battles through us, but he's actually doing the work. When we're walking in obedience, the Lord is saying, I go before you, I surround you, I strengthen you from the inside, I give you the victory. So therefore, beloved, we should actually be winning a lot more battles than we are. We should experience a lot more victories than we do because our job is to get out of the way and let the Lord work in us and through us. And then don't make the mistake that the Israelites were going to make. They started to say, well, it must be because I'm so righteous that I get these victories. Look at verse 4. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of the nations, the Lord your God 
is driving them out from before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Why do we often think our victories are due to our own righteousness rather than the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the plan and purposes of the Lord? Why do we fail to realize so often that we're actually reaping the prayers and efforts and labors of someone else? I stand here before you today because of parents who prayed for me. I grew up with one intention, and that was to play professional baseball. But my parents, as much as they loved me and encouraged me, seemed to know that God had something else for me to do. Do you realize that you sit here today, not so much because of your own righteousness, but because of the promises that the Father made to the Son? Remember the Lord's high priestly prayer in, in John 17, where, where Jesus was praying for his disciples, his inner circles, and he said, I'm not just praying for them. Yes, I, I, I want you to keep them safe from the wicked one, not take them out of the world, but keep them safe while they're in it. And, and, but he said, I'm not praying just for them. I'm praying for all of them who will believe on me through their word, through their ministry. I'm praying that they might be one. I'm praying that they will love one another and be unified in such a way that the world will believe that you sent me. So we see it here today largely because of the promises that the Father made to the Son to bring out a chosen people for him, to bring him glory. And it's not so much because of our righteousness, but because of the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're standing because of his prayers. But we need more intercessors like Moses today. The world we live in desperately needs intercessors who will pray for those sinners in the way Moses prayed for the rebellious Israelites as they broke the commandments, engaged in sexual sins, and worshipped idols. That sounds like the, our nation in 2019, doesn't it? Nothing's really changed. Moses starts to remind them again in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 6. He said, Know therefore that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. You're a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. As you read through the section, Moses was going to rehearse like five different occasions where the children of Israel just failed miserably against the Lord. He was going to remind them of the of the time, of course, when Aaron made the golden calf and they were caught up in all kind of sexual sin and idolatry. He's going to remind them about the time they were complaining that there was no water and God brought water out of a rock. He's going to remind them about the time when the, the spies went into the land and got discouraged because of the size of the Anakim and began to doubt the promises of God. He's going to remind them of when they we're getting manna from heaven and then started complaining, oh, I'm tired of this manna, I want some 
some ribs and steak, I mean, she wants some meat. <laughs> um, but just constantly, we went, she went to Roadhouse last night. Um, <laughs> but just constantly complaining and rebelling. He's going to use terms like arrogant, stubborn, rebellion, evil, wicked, disobedient, and talking to people who know on some level the Lord. Know about him at least, some of them just inexcusable for the behavior, but that's how people are. Until they get close to Christ, this is the behavior. The sad thing is we've seen this too often in professing Christians. It's like there's no shame anymore. We we find more and more professing believers who seem to have no issues with living together, having children out of wedlock, using drugs, being disobedient, just on and on, and claim to know Christ. That kind of behavior does not bring glory to God. You need to check yourself and make sure you're in a saving relationship with him if you have no issues with your behavior. Matter of fact, I, I just love this little, this back and forth that God and Moses had when the people were being disobedient. Uh, for example, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, look at this. Moses is going down from the mountain, the people are just out of control and verse 12 says then the Lord said to me arise go down quickly from here for your people whom you brought from Egypt have acted corruptly you'll notice when they were really just out of control God said Moses those are your folks (laughs) 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 but yet Moses is going to demonstrate a Christ-like attitude in praying for the very people that were causing him the most grief does that describe your prayer life Isn't it amazing how we remember to pray for our own needs and for those that we love and are dear to our heart, but do we labor in prayer like he's going to do for people who are disappointing him and discouraging him and rebelling against him? That's what Christ does. That's the kind of intercession he does. Moses spent 40 days and nights fasting and praying on at least two different occasions. He prayed for God to glorify himself. He prayed for God to deliver his chosen people. He prayed for God to delay his wrath against sinners. I I was getting so convicted reading this passage. Here's a man climbing up the mountain to lay prostrate, prostrate for 40 days and 40 nights, no bread, no water, praying for people. I've made it 40 minutes a couple times, but never... Never close to 40 days. But the thing God pressed on my heart was that he he seldom listens to people who are too busy to slow down and listen to him. He seldom communicates with people who are too busy to slow down and listen to him. It's amazing if it's something we really want to do. We'll adjust our schedules. We'll stop. We'll change everything to do it. And God says, great. Do that to spend time with me. Because there's a world of people that need intercessors like Moses. Look at Moses' heart in verse 13 of chapter 9. God says, Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I've seen this people. Behold, it's a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them, blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. Now, to some readers, that would sound pretty good. I'm I'm good with that, Lord. 
you're going to get rid of all of those troublemakers and give me a whole new congregation? Deal. But that's not what Moses did. He said, verse 18, I lay prostrate before the Lord as before. Forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that you, that you had committed. He didn't just say, get rid of the Lord, let's start. He said, no, I prayed, I fasted because of the sin you had committed. Isn't that beautiful, Christ-like? Intercession, that's the kind of leaders God wants to, to raise up. That's the kind of leaders that can make a difference. That's the kind of prayer warriors that we need. Moses said, I did it for you. Some of us do it when we've got a big decision to make a career move, a church change or something. Moses said, I did it because you were in sin. Moses prayed submissively. He lay prostrate and used the term sovereign Lord, the God who reigns and rules over everything, a verbal acknowledgement to affirm God and his rightful place over everything and everybody. He prayed persistently for 40 days. Why? Because he knew it was a life or death situation. Don't we forget that sometimes? We we forget that if people don't repent, if people don't come to Christ, they will spend eternity separated from the love of God in a lake of fire. Moses knew this was life or death situations he was praying for, and we need to have that same urgency as we go before the Lord. Moses prayed sacrificially. He's denying himself the basic necessities of life to spend time interceding for others. I, I want to stop right here because I'm convicting myself too much. He prayed specifically. He didn't just say, bless them, Lord, when he knew what the specific sins were, what the specific needs were. We need to pray specifically about the things we are observing in the lives of others and pray for God to set them free. He prayed compassionately. He's praying, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights for people that had threatened him, disappointed him, discouraged him. Now that is Christ-like love in action. I, I had to look back and say there were times I'm praying, Lord, don't you think it'd be best if they just went to another church? <laughs> <laughs> he's praying with compassion and it's Christ-like love in action, and it is actually easier to forgive people when you're spending time praying for them. Let's try doing that. He's praying comprehensively. He knew God's plans. He knew God's promises. He knew God's purposes. We need to pray for the things we know that God has promised to do for his people. That's why we should pray from Scripture. Use the word of God in your prayers. See what God has promised to do. See what his will is and pray specifically for those things, for the people that are on our hearts or should be on our hearts. And that's why the end result is Moses prayed effectively. Moses knew that God heard his prayers. 
we can have that same experience. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hear us whatsoever we ask, we have the petition that we have requested of him. God says, if you pray according to my word, according to my will, I hear you. Otherwise, I'm not listening. But if I hear you, and it means hear with the obligation to respond, God says, prayer answers. We can know that we're praying effectively if we're praying according to the word of God and the will of God. Why do we need to pray so hard? Because human nature is corrupt beyond our comprehension. And yet God continues to raise up godly leaders and intercessors to make a difference in our lives. After the rebellion, after the breaking of the commandments, after the intercession, God is going to tell Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 10 to go back and lead these people again. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 11, the word of God says, And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. This is after they've failed. This is after the breaking of the commandments. God is saying, Moses, get up front again. Lead them to where I have promised to take them. It is such a blessing to have good leadership. You guys have been blessed here at ACAC for decades with good leadership. It's not something we should take for granted. A lot of our churches don't have it. A lot of our communities don't have it. A lot of nations don't have good and godly, unselfish leaders who actually care more about the people than they care about themselves. We've all met leaders who use their positions to take advantage of others. We need leaders like this who will lead the people to where God wants them to go after they have failed time and time and time again. Moses, get up, go on your journey at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And oh, by the way, some things will never change. You're going to notice here in Deuteronomy 10 what, what we call the, the great commandment that you heard our Lord say in the Gospels. Notice verse 12 of Deuteronomy 10 where the word of God says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Love the Lord with every fiber of your being. Notice that obeying the commandments is for our own good. We have a generation of people who seem to think God is trying to steal their joy by telling them what to do or not do. Some commandments are good for you. You ever fly on airplanes? Of course you do. Notice they kind of command you to keep your seatbelt on in case something goes wrong. Notice they tell you don't open that door while we're in flight at 35,000 feet and jump out. You may say, why not? I want a free fall. Well, the end result won't be good for you. There are always commandments that are actually for our good, and we need to learn to obey them. 
Verse 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers, chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He's not partial. He doesn't take a bribe. God says, I own everything there is, including you. And just as his sovereign choice set apart Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants to, to be his representative nation, to tell the rest of the world about the great and true and living God, we are blessed to be chosen in Christ Jesus, to be his messengers to a lost and dying world. He says, I love you, but I'm also impartial and I don't take bribes. Why would God say something like that? How, how does somebody bribe God? Well, we, we do it figuratively today. Because we, we come to church and we write our check and then we say, okay, God, I, we should be good, right? I don't have to do the rest of this stuff, do I? Uh, yeah, you do. And it's so interesting what he says right after he says, I don't take bribes. Watch this, verse 18. Speaking about himself. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You notice that? God says, Israel, I love you, but I'm impartial. I also love the stranger, the widow, the fatherless, everyone in need. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to clothe them. I'm going to shelter them because I love them just as I love you. And you should love them because don't you remember what it was like when you were mistreated in Egypt? Then don't you dare mistreat them when they stand in their hour of need. I don't take bribes, God says. I want you to treat people the way I treated you. Hmm. Everybody? Yeah, everybody. That's the kind of God we serve. He cares about everyone. And oh, by the way, I, I draw a line between social justice and biblical justice. There are some social justice issues that may be unbiblical. We're not obligated to get involved in those, but we are obligated if it's a biblical justice issue. God says, I want my people to show my love and grace and compassion because I am a God who cares about justice for everyone. I, I close with this. It says, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear. He's your praise. He's your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. God says, my name alone is worthy to be praised. My name alone is worthy to be trusted. He's reminding the Israelites, remember there, a family of you went down to Egypt. And look at you now, millions. Don't forget what kind of God I am. 
look where I brought you from. Let what God has done in the past strengthen you for the present and for the future. We've all benefited from the labors of others, whether it was labor and prayer or whether it was actual physical labor and sacrifice. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And God says, I'm great. I'm awesome. Look what I've done in your life. Tell others what I can do in their life. It's our turn now to battle in prayer for those who are less fortunate. It's our turn now to intercede for not just for those we love, but for those we struggle to love. It's our turn now to help others share in the blessings that God wants to give to his people. And you might be that next intercessor that God wants to raise up and use. Are you ready? Are you willing? Do you care? Father, we thank you for this, this challenge of what others have done for your great name's sake and for our good. We thank you for them. We thank you for their sacrifice. And we pray, Lord, that each of us would be ready and willing uh, to assume whatever mantle of leadership you place upon us, Lord, to take whatever task you assign us, but to spend time with you uh, in sweet communion so that we can be the men and women of God you've called us to be and that our nation, Lord, and our world can see what a difference Christ can make in each and every life. Thank you for the privilege that we've had to hear your voice through your word today. We pray that each of us would bring forth a Christ-honoring response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.